0: Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouss.
1: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and you're tuned to 91.3 FM. This is your program questions and answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and in studio we have none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Murs, resident imam at the Yusufia Masjid, answering all of your questions in studio this evening. Sheikh, assalamu alaikum to you.
0: Wa alaikum, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and to all the honorable listeners of Voice of the Cape.
1: Well, Sheikh, shukran so much for taking time out once again to Afwan. being in studio. You know the drill, you can send through your your SMSs, your questions through to SMS line 47913 Alternatively, send through an email to jasmina at vocfm.ca.za Any questions in which you want Sheikh to answer this evening, you can send them through to those details in which I have mentioned. Now Sheikh, the following question reads as follows. It says, alaykum, Sheikh, can we say with certainty that Abu Luklua killed Umar, the third caliph kindly
0: advise. So the uh, question revolves around a historical incident, and that is the murder of the third Khalifa of Islam, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, and uh, we know it is uh, quite commonly understood um, as a matter of fact that Abu Lu'lu'a, uh, he was the one that actually killed Sidna Umar ibn al-Khattab So the question is asked whether this is true or not As far as our sources are concerned Whether they be sources of hadith or whether they be sources of history uh, We do find that uh, all scholars concur upon this particular fact um, That it was in fact Abu Lu'lu'a who, uh, who actually had killed Sidna Umar ibn al-Khattab And this hadith can be found in various sources Like the book of Imam al-Hakim Which is called the Mustadra and he states very clearly that Abu Lu'lua was a slave that belonged to a Sahabi by the name of Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah. And he gives the whole background as to what had happened. It would appear that uh, Abu Lu'lua was uh, unhappy with his work conditions under Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah. And he had then spoken to Sayyidina Umar about it and he wanted Sayyidina Umar to speak to Al-Mughira, which uh, Sayyidina Umar obviously advised him to be patient and he had obviously intention to speak to Al-Mughira, but it would appear that... Abu Lu'lu'a was very angry at the fact that uh, Sayyidina Umar did not fulfill his need immediately and this actually drove him to commit uh, this particular crime against Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab and this is as I said uh, mentioned in the book of Imam al-Hakim by uh, by Imam al-Hakim in his book al-Mustadrak it is also mentioned in the hadith book compiled by Ibn Abi Shaybah uh, where he also Uh, mentions the incident on the authority of a person called Amr ibn Maymoon who said that um, I used to stand in the second saf, this person says out of awe for Sayyidina Umar and on that particular day when he was stabbed I was standing in the second saf and uh, it happened immediately after the salah had began and he says this person Abu Lu'lua came and he stabbed Sayyidina Umar 2 times or at least 3 times while he was in his salah so this is taken from Ibn Abi Shaiba then other hadith books like the Musannaf of Abdul Razak, the Sahih of Ibn Hibban uh, one of the books of Imam Al-Bayhaqi and we also look at the history books Imam Al-Tabari, Ibn Kathir in his book Al-Bidayah and Nihaya, we'll find that most likely all of them mention the incident uh, and ascribing the murder of Sayyidina Umar Ibn Khattab uh, at the hands of a person called Abu Lu'lu'a uh, Al-Majusi who was obviously a fire worshipper before Some say he was a Nasrani He was a Christian Person of Christian background um, And this is basically the incident So yes, from our sources It would seem that it is confirmed That this was the person indeed That had murdered Sayyidina Omar
1: Shukran so much for that Sheikh This is your program Questions and answers And do not not to forget to send through your questions Through to 47913 Alternatively you can send me an email To jasmina at vocfm.co.za Some of the other questions coming through us As-salamu Sheikh can one give your children who struggles from your zakah?
0: Yeah, the standard rule that applies as far as zakah is concerned is that zakah should be given to very specific categories of people Uh, And this is found in a verse in Surah Tawbah where Allah Ta'ala says And uh, the ayah basically outlines eight different categories of people that are eligible for uh, receiving zakah So can your own children actually get zakah if you are wealthy for example and they are poor Can you actually give your zakah to them directly? The standard rule that applies here is that if... uh, any of your children or your parents, for that matter, is under your nafaqa, meaning you look after them because they are poor and you are actually taking care of them. Then that is what is needed. You you obviously going to look after them all the time. You're not only going to give them zakah. So in that case, obviously zakah is not paid to them because you're already looking after them as far as, far as the nafaqa is concerned. Um, so if they are fakir, if they are poor or miskin, they are in need. Then you should not give them zakah but rather you should give them nafaqa meaning you should look after them especially if they are in a state of being incapacitated of doing so themselves Um, however we do find in the Shafi'i school, that they do allow for the parents to give zakah to the children, but not on the basis of them being poor or needy. In other words, not being those two categories. But let's say they fit one of the other descriptions of the eight categories of zakah, such as a person who's in debt, or a person who is a wayfarer. Those are different categories. If the child fits actually one of those descriptions, then you are allowed to give him your zakah. But if he's just uh, simply a poor person, a faqir or a miskin, uh, then uh, the Shafi'i school states that zakah should not be given to them and I quote from a book called al Iqna' by uh, al-Khatib al-Shirbini, a well-known author in the Shafi'i Madhab, he says man talzamu al a person who nafaka is compulsory to give to uh, to his dependents, like bizawjiyatin or ba'diyatin, whether it be a wife or whether it be somebody that comes from him, meaning his children, La Yad he should not pay zakah to them. Bismi. You should not give them on the basis of them being poor or being needy. Because in that case, you will look after them. You will give nafakah. But if it is on the basis of them being a wayfarer or being, as I said, one of the other categories, then possibly it could be allowed to give your zakah. So the standard rule, just to summarize, the standard rule is we do not pay zakah to our what we call in Arabic, al wal fura Al-usul meansI will mean your father, grandfather and all the way up. Because you must look after them. If they are in need, you should give them nafakah. Look after them. And also your furu'ah, your children, your children's children, and all the way down, you also don't give zakah to them because you will look after them if they are poor and needy and not only give zakah uh, in, the, in, the, in the sense of 2.5%, two, two but you will look after them all the time. So zakah is not given to those two categories of people. And of course your wife your wife is your dependent, so you look after her. You give her nafakah daily, so you can't give her from your zakah right? Because she's one of your dependents. But you can give zakat to all other family members like your brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts. There's no limitations. You can give zakat to anyone else besides your parents and your children and your wife.
1: Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question is as follows. It says, As-salamu alaykum. When does one perform sujudi sawi and how?
0: Of course, sujood as-sahwi is the sujood of forgetfulness. So if a person forgets something in the salah or he does something that he was not supposed to do, then he will perform sujood as-sahwi. Okay, so when is it performed? That's the first part of the question. Sujood al-sahwi is performed uh, just before a person makes the taslim. In other words, just prior to him saying assalamu alaykum and exiting from the salah, that will be the time that a person does sujood al-sahwi, which consists of two sujoods that is made after one has recited everything that you would normally recite in your tahiyya. So when you sit for tahiyya in the last raka'ah of your salah and you say at to mubarakatul salawatu tayyibah and you recite the entire tahiyya with the salawat and the prophet ﷺ with uh, the entire thing that you normally do once all of that is complete you will then do the two sujoods of forgetfulness uh, two, two prostrations and when the two prostrations are done you will simply be in, come up and sit in that position of sitting and say Assalamu alaikum Assalamu alaikum and you would not recite anything after doing the sujood as sahwi so where does it occur? right at the end of the salah just prior to the taslim okay uh, so just to add uh, when is it performed when when does one do sujood as sahwi basically if you leave out something that you were supposed to do or you did something extra in the salah let's say you did an extra raqa in the salah which you realized afterwards, and you rectified that, then you do sujood al-sahwi. Let's say you forgot a raka'ah, and you said, assalamu alaikum and somebody rectified you. Let's say somebody standing behind you rectified you, so you got up. Or you by yourself, remember that you only did three raka'ahs, but it was duwur salah, so you stand up and you do your fourth one. So in those cases, you do sujood al-sahwi. Then also you do sujood al-sahwi if you leave out certain major sunnah actions of the salah, such as a person that leaves out for fajr salah the kunut. So for such a person, it will be sunnah for him to do sujood as sahwi So basically, leaving out something which is required or doing something extra in the salah, that will make it a recommendation for a person to perform sujood as sahwi which, as I said, is done right at the end of the salah by simply making two sujoods and then saying assalamu alaikum on both sides.
1: Shukran so much. The voice there of Sheikh Ibrahim was in studio this evening. This is your program, Questions and Answers. And you can send through all of your questions through to 47913. Or you can send an email through to JASMINA at vocfm.co.za. We're back right after this.
0: Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moos.
1: As-salamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your program questions and answers. I'm your host Yasmina Peterson along with Sheikh Ibrahim was in studio this evening answering all of your questions. You can send through your questions through to 47913. Sheikh the following question is quite a lengthy one. Assalamualaikum, beloved Sheikh, my husband and I have spoken about being in a polygamy relationship. I told him my level of Iman does not match being in such a relationship, hence I am not for it. My husband knowing how I felt Still went ahead chatting to a girl Who is in Ida, Asking her for her hand in marriage As a second wife without me knowing They have been chatting for a while As he also offered her a job He then asked me to have An open mind about two wives I told him again I'm not for it He then after a few days told me He already asked this girl to marry him I'm not happy about this As I feel he betrayed me As he still went ahead doing this after i told him my reasons not being in a polygamy relationship he is now upset with me we have not been speaking for two weeks and i gave him an example marrying a woman i get along with seeing he wants a second wife he completely objected to marrying this woman he is still interested in the much younger one hence making me feel it's more for a desire than the reason he is giving me telling me she is a widow with a young baby
0: Yeah, so it is uh, quite a lengthy uh, explanation (laughs) and a detailed explanation of the problem that this woman is facing and uh, just to pick up on a couple of points, um, so obviously your husband wanting to marry a second wife Um, We know that this is something Which is halal in Islam If the conditions are met right? And all the conditions is that he must Prove himself worthy to be able To look after both wives equally And to give each one their due haq As the sharia actually requires Them to do, so if he is able To do that, then obviously from the Offset we have to mention that this is something Which is halal, it is not something Which is haram, but something which is allowed in Islam So the conditions are Important though, because Allah says in the Quran that if a person fears that he will not do justice to more than one wife then he must stick to one wife okay so that is an important uh, condition that must be met uh, so the issue of him doing this uh, after he had spoken to you right i think that For me, there is uh, positivity, the fact that they at least discussed it before and had some kind of input from your side. Um, What I found in many cases is that husbands, for example, they do it without consulting. They just get married and the woman or the wife or his wife just finds out. So obviously that is also, I think, much more traumatic If you just find out At least what is positive in this scenario for me Is that the two of you had a discussion about it And you are open enough to at least speak about it right? And that is very mature of you to do that And this is encouraged that you at least If there is such a uh, an idea that came up in, 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 in a marriage That you at least speak about it And yes, you obviously then voiced your concerns, etc So he obviously has got his viewpoint You've got your viewpoint so uh, it is uh, It is quite natural for a first wife to feel a bit afraid And to feel worried about a situation like that They won't be able to handle it She says her Iman level is not high enough She won't know whether she will be able to maybe fulfill the duties and so on Which is quite natural because you feel uh, somewhat anxious On an arrangement that you are not used to Okay. Um, the fact that he, and this is something I have to point out The fact that he spoke to someone who was still in Iddah and proposed to her while she was in idda this was obviously wrong he he should not have done that because we are not allowed to approach a woman uh, who is in idda who is in a waiting period of a divorce or or death we are not allowed to approach such a woman for marriage purposes we must wait till the idda is over before we actually do that so that is wrong which he did that that shouldn't be condoned at all um but the fact that he is still considering it And you are still against it so obviously this is something that you need to i think have more conversation about you should speak like adults about it and yes you feel uh, maybe hurt you feel worried you feel anxious but i think the more you speak about it maybe you will begin to understand a bit better because as i said at the end of the day it is halal for him to do it if he does it properly if he does it with the conditions that are fulfilled and uh, if you can convince him that there is no reason for him to take another wife maybe he will consider that right but if he is still adamant he wants to do it then i think it's good that you at least have the conversation with him continue the conversation with him because uh, i don't think it's going to help in any way if you're not speaking to one another right and he's becoming frustrated maybe and whatever i think personally that will even drive him further to actually do this and and just carry on to, to actually do it which i hope he's not going to do i hope he's going to consult and still speak to you and get your understanding and get your input uh, on a, on a deeper level and i think that is uh what needs to be done And uh, inshallah, hopefully Allah Ta'ala will bring some clarity For the two of you in terms of this issue It is a a touchy issue And women especially, they feel a bit uh, very anxious when it comes to this topic So hopefully when you speak to your husband some more And and try to have a decent conversation And open up to him And you must be able to motivate to him why you feel it is wrong Or not wrong, why do you feel it's not going to work for you And if you perhaps lay down uh, clear indications or clear reasons maybe he will also begin to think a bit deeper but if you cannot justify if you're just saying look i simply just, just don't want it not because i have a reason but just I, I cannot see him with another wife so obviously that's going to be d- difficult to convince him like that so i think that is what needs to be done and inshallah hopefully clarity will come your way after having some uh, good conversations with one another and as i said for me that is positive at least he engaged with you before he actually did it which is somewhat uh, not always what we hear. We always hear that the person got married first and then the wife found out. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's some positivity in here. Hopefully there will come uh, a solution, inshallah.
1: Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads, says, "Assalamu Sheikh, I was divorced for five years, got married again. Now my kids don't greet me. If I call them, they make excuses not to talk to me. Any advice? Canola.
0: Yeah, of course the advice is very simple here yeah, that uh, kids, you know, they should respect their parents and they should always honor their decisions and uh, you you've got no right really as a child to feel angry for your father or mother that they've remarried. If they if they feel they want to remarry and they are in a position to do so, then we should support them They are adults and they can make their own decisions and we should uh, we should support him. I think the children very often and this is this is quite uh, wrong. They often feel that the mother or father's remarrying is betraying Mm-hmm. The other parent. And this is not true. There's no betrayal. You know, there's no betrayal because we as human beings, we have certain needs. Sometimes it's companionship that we need. That loneliness can get to you Especially if you're married for a long time And all of a sudden you've got nobody to talk to Or to really open up to So we must understand this That even people that are aged They also have this need of companionship And we shouldn't deprive them of that You know, As children, we should support them uh, If they are of course in a means to do so And they are physically well and so on We shouldn't stand in their way And the proof of this is even the Prophet He was very loyal to Khadija Until she died and when she died he obviously married other other wives as well okay and that doesn't mean he forgot Khadija or he betrayed Khadija. in fact he kept on speaking about Khadija even after he married many other women after that which shows that his loyalty was, was still with his first wife so i think as children we shouldn't feel like that we shouldn't feel like our father or mother is betraying our deceased parent but rather make dua for our parents and be happy for them and support him in which way we can and for you not speaking to your parents because they got married again this is haram. You, you are committing haram by cutting yourself off from your parents who deserve your love and your attention.
1: Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. On that note, we break for us. And when we come back, we'll continue with the program. This is your program, Questions and Answers. Send through those questions through to 47913.
0: Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim was
1: Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is your program, questions and answers. I'm your host Yasmina Peterson, and joined in studio we have none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Mus answering all of your questions this evening. Four seven nine one three. The SMS line to send through your questions. Alternatively, email me j a s m i n a at vocfm.co.za. Sheikh, the following question is as follows: It says, "Assalamualaikum. I would like to know. I'm sleeping with my wife on the one on the right hand side, and the other." Wife on the left hand side, is this okay?
0: <laughs> That's a very strange question. I've never heard a question like that before, um, but uh, of course, one could imagine that uh, this would not be something that is okay uh, having two wives, you know, sleeping uh, with them at the same time. Um, there's the issue of aura, there's the issue we must remember, even between women folk there's aura, there's certain auras which you're not allowed to see uh, from one woman to another woman you know, certain things that you're not allowed to see uh, etc. and be exposed to so obviously um, there's the issue also of uh, if you have two wives like that, uh, you know uh, what are the feelings of those wives are, are, are they actually, are you forcing them to do that are they okay with it uh, etc. and it's, it's obviously a woman uh, wouldn't easily be okay with something like that because uh, they've got feelings and uh, they've got their own modesty and their own emotions, right? So no, this would definitely not be something which is uh, at all okay. Uh, but rather, that's why the Sharia even teaches us that if you have two wives, you must provide separate dwellings for them. If they are not happy to stay in the same dwelling, you must provide separate dwellings for them. The only time that they can stay together in the same uh, dwelling is if if they agree onto it. But if they don't agree, then you can't. So what's still in one? So obviously, that is even worse than the scenario of a particular dwelling. So uh, that is not something to be uh, opened up at all. I just want to mention. Some Something uh, that I forgot to say of the Previous question, uh, remember the person Asked about, uh, he remarried And uh, the children are not, are not speaking yes. To him, and so I mentioned obviously That the children are in the wrong, they shouldn't treat Their parents like that, and they should support Their parents, I just failed to mention That you as a parent, you know, keep on making Dua for your children, your children You know, maybe they are just uh, upset still Or uh, maybe, I don't know how long it is That the uh, mother had passed on, or the father whoever it is that passed on um, I don't know how long it is, maybe they are still hurt inside, they are still missing their their, their deceased parent, so maybe from your side, as the surviving parent, you know, make lots of dua for them that Allah must guide their hearts and bring them back to you and normalize the relationships because your dua, obviously, as a parent, remains very mustajab as far as your children is concerned so I just wanted to add that point, it's an important point I think, for you as a parent, not to forget to make dua for them, because they may feel like this now, but maybe they can still change afterwards, they may be accepting you know, your second wife or your second the husband that you've married now, may, they may accept it eventually, but you keep on praying for them, inshallah ta'ala.
1: Shukran so much for that, Shaykh. The following question is, I saw a video of qurban of camels in Makkah. The camels were all standing in groups and each could see the qurban of the next one. Once the throat is slit, the camel runs around until it collapses. I was learned to believe that the animal should not see the qurban of another. Please enlighten me as I would like to learn. Shukran. Yeah,
0: Shukran that question, of course, it is a, a, a something to be concerned about and to be worried about if you see a clip... Uh uh, you know like this And yes you are quite right What you've been taught Is 100% correct And when we slaughter animals For the purposes of qurbani Or for aqeeqah Or any other purposes We, we should have the prep, uh, the proper etiquette And adab that goes with it And I will just quote one hadith That gives you a, a summary Of the answer to your question And that is a hadith That is narrated by Abu Ya'la Shaddad ibn Aus As said And the hadith is authentic Narrated by Imam Muslim In his Sahih uh, the Prophet وسلم, says, Innaha ala Verily Allah Ta'ala has commanded and instructed and made compulsory that whatever we do, we should do it excellently. We should, we should do it with excellence. And then the Prophet وسلم, gives some detail what he means. He says, if you are going to kill. And if you are going to slaughter do it in a proper manner do it in a decent manner do it excellently do it swiftly do it quickly do it in such a way that there is no harm and no pain to the animal and no uh, suffering no suffering to the animal and the prophet ends off by giving further detail and he says let one of you whoever is performing this act of sacrifice let him make sure that his knife is very sharp And let him make sure that he puts his animal that he's going to slaughter, that he puts that animal at ease. You know, that is the sunnah. Put them at ease. That's why you'll find the way that we do it in Cape Town. And I must say, I've traveled and I've seen people do it in other parts of the world. I think that we in Cape Town, we are still very... Uh, the word that we normally use is tartib We are very tartib still We are very, you know, we have our ways of doing things And one of the things that is admirable Is the way that we do slaughtering We take care of giving water to the animal Facing the animal to the qibla Making sure that the others don't see Make sure that we clean the blood afterwards Before slaughtering the next one This is all very, very good And this is what is required And this is what has been instructed by our Prophet Muhammad So of course, uh, slaughtering those animals like that it shouldn't be okay, it shouldn't be condoned, because you can imagine the trauma that animals are going through, seeing another animal being butchered in front of them, uh, seeing the blood and all of that. Uh, so it is not, it is not uh, uh, acceptable like that. And the only thing that I can perhaps think of an excuse why this would be okay is if there was no other manner of doing it. Um, now, I'm not too familiar with how they do camels. I don't know if camels in particular is maybe more trickier than sheep or goats or actually getting them in a confined space and putting them down or how does it actually work um, well if one is able to sacrifice a camel in the way that I've explained where you fulfill all those adab, not seeing other animals not seeing the blood and so on then that would be obviously required and that is what we should do but if it is in the case of camels where it is maybe very difficult for them to do so let's say it's on on Mina you know now I know on, on Mina there's thousands of animals that are slaughtered on the day of Eid so maybe there's not sufficient space to do it or whatever so it's not ideal to do it the way that you have seen on the video clip but if that is the only circumstance that they have then what can one say one can but uh, you know maybe advise and say if there's a better arrangement they can be made then that would be better right so i'm just thinking of a justification why they would do that but if there is no justification let's say there is sufficient space and they can make new arrangements then that is what they should do because this is what the hadith says make sure that the animal that you're going to slaughter is at his ease that is not worried that is not anxious and you know uh, make sure that your knife is sharp that there is absolutely no suffering from the animal etc and these are the humane uh, characteristics that we have to display when even taking a life of an animal as was described to us in this particular hadith.
1: Shukran so much Sheikh 47913 is the SMS line to send through your questions in which you want Sheikh to answer in studio this evening the following question is as follows it says Asalaamu Alaikum Sheikh, can Sheikh mention a dua that a wife can say when she's having difficulty in accepting the death of her husband we always make dua for the deceased but can Sheikh advise on the well-being of the wife after her husband died after a short illness. Shukran.
0: Yeah, Of course this uh, I can imagine Must be a very difficult thing uh, Especially if it is a partnership of Husband and wife that uh, went on for a very long Time uh, for many years and then All of a sudden one of the partners become ill And passes away it must be obviously very Difficult for the other partner and uh, Yes uh, as they say time heals You know it is only through time and with time That a person will perhaps be able to Fully recover from the trauma Of losing a a partner Uh, But I want to bring your your Attention uh, to a an incident which happened in the time of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I mentioned it before at the previous uh, occasion, but I want to repeat it here, that uh, it was actually something which the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had taught the Sahaba to say whenever a calamity befalls them. Right and uh, it's a dua uh, which is not too long, uh, where the Prophet ﷺ said, in abdin Whenever a person is afflicted with a calamity, and he says the following, he first says, "Inna lillahi wa inna raji'un." The first thing you do is you acknowledge the fact that Allah is in control of everything. Oh Allah, from you everything comes, and to you everything shall return we are we come from you and to you will be our return that's your first response and then the prophet sallallahu alaihi said a person who has been afflicted with a calamity should also make this dua allahumma ajurni fi musibati wa minha oh allah grant me reward in this time of difficulty for the patience that i have and give me a substitute of something which is better hmm. give me a substitute of something which is better the nabi says if a person says this dua إِلَّا أَجَرَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى فِي مُصِيبَتِهِ وَأَخْلَفَ لَهُ خَيْرًا If this is the case and a person makes this dua, then Allah Ta'ala will definitely give him a reward for his patience and Allah Ta'ala will definitely give him a substitute with something which is better than the thing that he has lost. Now there's an incident that occurred that a particular woman by the name of Umm Salama, Umm Salama, she had remembered this particular dua that was taught. By the Prophet ﷺ, That must be uttered If a person is in a state of calamity So when her husband Abu Salama passed away And this is exactly your situation You are saying you lost your husband And you feel it's very difficult for you to move on So she lost her husband And he was a very good husband to her Very good husband And uh, she remembered the words of the Prophet ﷺ. So she made the dua She said She made the dua But she said when she narrated this she said when i made the dua i also thought like who can ever be better than abu salama because he was such a good man who can replace him who can be a substitute for him she didn't think in her mind that anybody would would match the qualities of her previous husband that had passed on but she made the dua anyway and then the incident uh, further uh, relates to us that it wasn't long after idda was over that she actually received a proposal from none other than the Prophet himself. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Prophet himself came to propose to actually get married to her. And then she was so Blown away because look at that du'a and how powerful it was mm. She made a du'a that Allah must give her something better And she thought nobody would be better But here Allah Ta'ala send her Somebody that is not only better than Abu Salama But somebody that is in fact better than all human beings out there The best of human, humankind Which is none other than Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam So this is a beautiful kissa that shows that The power of du'a and the yaqeen that one should have When you make du'a So this is what we say to you Our dear sister that have lost your husband uh, We say to you have patience uh, know that Allah Ta'ala is in control of everything Know that Allah Ta'ala will give you a great reward For the patience that you are showing And when you make this dua inshallah Allah Ta'ala will give you contentment He will bring you something That is better than the loss that you had suffered Right, so make this du'a, and I will repeat the du'a slowly so that whoever is listening maybe can either write it down or just uh, you know capture it. It's a du'a. We first say, "Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un." Allahumma jurni fi musibati wa akhlf li minha. So sure du'a And perhaps we can make it available In the studio here as well Whoever wants a copy Perhaps it can be sent to them as well We hope that Allah Ta'ala Grants ease to this person And we also encourage the family members To give support to such a person Very often the family plays a big role In giving support to this woman That lost her husband You know so be there for her uh, Try to comfort her Try to do things for her Etc Because she's under idda also So obviously she's lonely She doesn't have maybe anybody to talk to uh, Now that the husband is gone So uh, the, the extended will also play that role of support towards her.
1: Shukran, so much for that, Sheikh. The following question is as follows It says, "Assalamu alaykum I hope that you are well. Does sea water break your hudu like walking on the beach?
0: No, absolutely not. It does not break your hudu. Uh, to the contrary, uh, sea water is actually pure and it's actually purifying. And what that means is you can actually take hudu of sea water with sea water. It's nothing wrong. And this was actually the Prophet ﷺ had clarified this uh, in his time when the Sahaba came to him and a person asked him, Ya Rasulallah, inna narqabul O oh, Prophet of Allah, sometimes we are at sea. And we carry very little water with us, like drinking water. He says, If we take wudu with this water that we bring with us for drinking, then we will go thirsty. So he asked the question, O oh, Prophet of Allah, can we take wudu from the water of the sea? Because we don't want to use our drinking water for that purpose. And look at the wise answer. The Prophet didn't only say yes. Because that should have been the answer Because the person asked Can I use sea water to take Udu? The answer should have been Yes, you can mm. But the Prophet didn't say Yes, you can The Prophet made a full statement And what was the statement? He said Huwa He says to this person Remember that the ocean Its water is always pure And even animals that die in the ocean Like a fish that dies in the ocean You can actually eat that, that animal still You can still eat that fish Because of the ocean being a purifying agent, really, the amount of salt that is in there, etc. It actually purifies. So the answer that he gave was a much more comprehensive answer than just saying, yes, you can. And the reason why the Prophet gave a more comprehensive answer, so that it must not be thought of that the answer is specifically for this person. The answer is for everyone. The answer can be used at any time. So this is the rule. The rule is one of the types of water that can be used for hudu, for ghusl, for purifying purposes, for cleaning najasa, for cleaning any impurities, is sea water. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So if you are at the beach, you go there and swim a little bit. If the waktu if comes, you can actually take hudu there and make salah with that hudu that you've taken from the sea water. So it is not najis. So if you walk on the beach, there's no problem. There is no issue of najasa being contaminating your clothing or your body uh, uh, at all.
1: Thank so much, Sheikh. The following question, it says, "Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Can Sheikh explain the following? When people go for Hajj every other year, it is said that they are only credited with one Hajj. Can Sheikh give more clarity, Kanala
0: I'm not too sure what this uh, statement means that they are credited with one hajj but i i, I would suppose what it is, is alluding to is that if you've made your fourth hajj mm. then that is the hajj that obviously is your hajj of islam and the hajj that you will be uh, uh, you know rewarded for as fulfilling your fifth rukun of the arkan of islam so that is the most important hajj is the first one right because it's the fard it's a compulsory act of the arkan of islam which you had fulfilled so that is what it means that you only get one fourth hajj any hajj that you do after that would be sunnah it would not be in other words the reward of a second hajj or a third hajj or a fourth hajj will not be the same as the first one The first one will be much greater because it is the one that fulfills your responsibilities towards Allah by doing the fifth Rukun of the Arkan of Islam. And I think that is what they mean, that if you go Hajj many times, you are only credited with the one, meaning as a Fart, the others are always Sunnah. And that is why we always advise people that goes for the first time, make sure that you make the best of it. Make sure that you use every moment because that is the Hajj that counts. Everything after that will be voluntary and will not be uh, on the same rank of the hajj that has been done as a fourth hajj.
1: Shukran so much. With that, we're going to go for a quick ad break, and when we come back, we'll continue with the program Questions and Answers. Send through your questions through to 47913. Alternatively, send through an email to jasmina at vocfm.co.za. We're back right after this.
0: Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Nwes.
1: Assam alaikum warahmatullahi wa This is your program questions and answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and answering all of your questions this evening, we have none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Moose in studio. The following questions coming through via SMS, which is 47913. It says, Assam alaikum Sheikh, I have a dog at home for protection purposes, but he runs around in the yard, and when I'm doing washing, he will jump on me and sometimes try to lick my shoes or so. How should my clothes be washed and how many times in order for me to make Salah.
0: Yeah, this is an important question Um, Of course, the the dog, it has a Najasa, which is what we call In fiqh terms, we will call it Najasa Mughallada It has a very severe type of impurity On him, and the same applies to a pig, for example Which also have Najasa Mughallada It's a very, very severe uh, Strong type of Najasa So firstly, we would advise you That if you do go in the yard and hang the clothing And so on, on, um, perhaps It would be a good idea that you have special clothes that That you wear when you go out, so that you don't Wear that same clothes for Salah purposes Right Your clothes will only become contaminated And become uh, impure If there was actually something wet From the dog That was transported from the dog Onto your clothing So let's say the dog touched you Or jumped towards you And his body touched your clothing But there was nothing that came off the body wasn't wet, there wasn't water on, uh, on on the dog Or he wasn't sweating Or there was no saliva or anything like that So it's just his physical body touched your physical body Or your clothing And in that case there's no problem You can make Salah like that Because there's no transferal of the Najasa If it is not wet The only time that it will get transferred is If it's wet So if he licked your clothing Then definitely it is Najis right? If he was wet physically, his body was wet And he touched you Then definitely your clothing is Najis Or is Contaminated So that is also a rule to know So it's not always When it touches you That you are going to need to wash Your clothing Third point is, if this happens and there is actually a transferral of the najasa onto your clothing because of him licking you or because his nose is wet or because he was wet and the, the wetness then transferred onto your clothing then you will unfortunately have to wash that clothing and the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned what is the procedure how we should wash it, the Prophet ﷺ says إِذَا وَلَغَ الْقَلْبُ فِي إِنَاءِ أَحَدِكُمْ فَلْيَغْسِلْهُ سَبَعْ مَرَّاتٍ بِالتُرَابِ The hadith is authentic, narrated by Imam Muslim, at tirmidhi and an where the prophet ﷺ said if a dog leaks um, a container with his water and he leaks into that container then that container must be washed seven times and one of the times must actually be with sand like water mixed with sand so many scholars have taken this hadith quite literal the shafi'i mother for example they take it very literal so they say it is compulsory that you wash uh, your clothing at least seven times Right, so rinse it seven times over with water, and one of it must be with water mixed with, with sand, and they say now medically there is some there is some reason for that because uh, that is the only way that you really get rid of all the najasa that has been transferred from the dog, and as we said the dog's najasa is quite strong and quite severe. There's other madahib that has not taken it literally. They said no It doesn't have to be Seven per se But it just means You must wash it Rigorously So you find the, the Hanafi mother For example They say even three times Is okay If you know that The clothing is clean After three times Then that should be okay That is the Hanafi school um, And then also The issue of Must it be mixed with uh, With the sand For the one time Or isn't that so, so necessary We find as I said Imam Shafi'i He takes this hadith Quite literally He says you have to do that Whereas other scholars feel That that is just An extra measurement To make sure that The clothing gets clean So if you do it in, in any other way, it will also be fine. So basically, if the najis has been transferred, you must wash your clothes rigorously, and according to the Shafi school, at least seven times, and make sure that all the najasa has been removed.
1: Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question is, as alaikum Sheikh and respected presenter. I have been married for a year now, and I am a young Muslim mother that just started out in the working industry. I earn an average salary, and me and my husband see to the household together. However, due to this, I feel that whenever my mother asked me for money i will give her a small amount as i'm not able to give her more am i obligated to give my mother some money every month like i used to when i was living with her before i got married as i cannot cope with our monthly expenses and giving her money i did tell my mother if i have money i will give her but i'm struggling a bit this year financially
0: yeah you certainly uh, should try your level best to assist your mother in whatever capacity you are able to do so right it's your mother so she deserves your your care and your attention and support so you obviously know her circumstance if you know that she is in dire need of your assistance then you should help her as far as you possibly can okay so yes it is going to be difficult for you to to do the balancing act between what your own needs are and the needs of your mother we understand that but the point is you should try your best to obviously make sure that you fulfill your duties towards her, but only to the capacity that you are able to, right? Because Allah says in the Quran, La nafsan illa hus'aha. We all memorize this verse of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah Ta'ala will not place a burden on someone that is more him or for her to carry right allah knows your capacity so you do what you can do and inshallah you will really be rewarded greatly by allah ta'ala if you assist your mother now let's say your mother is actually in a good position you know financially she's okay so it's not that, like she's really in dire need, then, in that case, obviously, the need for you to give her something or to give her a gift every month, a monetary gift, it becomes less. so I, I would still advise you to give something. you know, if you feel it's going to make her happy or make her feel that at least you know you're there for her, then still do it. But in that case, obviously, you can do it to a less lesser extent because you know that the need is not so big but if she is in dire need then you should try to go out of your way to assist her and obviously balance that between your needs as well your household that you have to look after etc. remember i said earlier on in a question that was asked that your parents if they are unable to look after themselves it actually becomes the duty of the children to look after them Nafaka becomes now compulsory So actually, if your mother, let's say she's completely incapacitated, nobody can look after her and you're the only daughter and you are able to help, then you are forced to obviously help her just the way that she helped you when you were young. The way that they looked after you when you were young You basically have to do the same If that situation arises So you assess the situation of your mother And you will know how to proceed from there But the rule of thumb is That you try to do for your mother whatever you can To assist her in the capacity In which you are able to do that Without causing uh, any difficulty for yourself
1: Shukran so much for that Shehan on that note That is where we wrap up the program Shukran to all of you sitting through your questions As well as those questions which I did not tackle I will definitely do that Next week, inshallah. Sheikh Shukran once again for coming into studio and answering all of these questions this evening.
0: Jazakumullahu khairan to you, sister Yasmina, and to our listeners for tuning in. Until we meet again, Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
1: Wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The voice of Sheikh Ibrahim Muas and from myself, Yasmina, and everyone on board. We bid you Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
0: Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Muas.